the theme, really, of our time together um, and our learning together is going to be about Torah and the giving of Torah. There seems to be this like major connection between Matan Torah and the giving of Torah and both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I want us to think about that. Like, what is the connection between Sinai and these uh, and these um, and these holidays? And, and what is really teaching us, informing us? It's really our question. Okay. So uh, I realize that I committed a sin, and I haven't uh, so they're going to confess. I haven't told you who I am or where I come from. So my name is Yaffa Epstein. I'm here from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. Pardes is a non-denominational co-ed Beit Midrash program whose goal is to open the doors of classic Jewish text study as wide as possible to allow all who want to to come in uh, and learn, all Jews of all kinds, matter what your practices or your beliefs, um, and we have lots and lots of different programs. We have a year program, we have a semester program, we have a summer program, we have a three-week summer program, a two-week summer program, an executive program, we have, uh, we have what am I forgetting, an educator's program, an informal educator's program, we have a spirituality retreat that takes place here in North America uh, at Capitol Camp in, in uh, Pennsylvania, January, first week of January, right? Second to seven, so we're definitely back for Haley is here because she is uh, she is our director, of assistant director of engagement with America. There you go. Uh, so she can tell you more about all of our programs. Um, and um, we're excited to be here, and we are very very proud partners of the community Beit Midrash. Um, we've been part of it for the last four years, so it's very wonderful to be at our kickoff uh, tonight. Um, how many parties alumni in the audience? Just out of curiosity, parties alumni. There you are. Okay. Me too. Um, so if you, uh, if you don't believe us, they're not paid to talk to you about how they're so they can talk to us. Um, and um, it's great to see you guys, and great to always learn with our alumni. Um, okay, fantastic. So let's get to what we're here to actually do, which is uh, learning. So um, when I say the connection between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur and the giving of the Torah... What do you think I'm talking about? What comes to your mind? Yes. I happen to just read the bar somewhere, so it didn't really come to my Wait, mind. tell me what your name is? Uh, Lana. Lana? Yes, and I went to parties for three hours once, so okay, great. that counts tomorrow. You're one of us. <laughs> Welcome. I feel very, very much <laughs> So what it said, which was beautiful, was the sound of the shofar blowing at the time of the Ten Commandments and the Torah was given was a unifying moment for Jews and that when we hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, we're blowing it to remind God that we're the ones who loved us and remember that moment. Beautiful. Fantastic. Okay, great. Good. So wait, there's something about, right, this moment of blowing of the shofar at Sinai that was unifying in and of itself. It was a unifying call. Fantastic. Good. Yes. Tell me your name. Gabi. Gabi. Um, the... It's like a very driving force <clears throat> behind Yom Kippur and like uh, repentance. Fantastic. So narrative-wise, we're going into that. Beautiful, right? Really, really great point, right? That actually, uh, that actually, there is a very inherent and very important connection between, right, between the chet ha'egel, right, the sin of the golden calf, is perhaps one of the most devastating sins. Uh, one of the lowest points, perhaps, in the Jewish people, right? Right after they received the Torah and they had this amazing revelatory experience at Sinai, right? Right afterwards, we're having this right moment of idol worship, and that fall is incredibly important. Part of right, a huge part of our liturgy is about redeeming ourselves after that. Okay, fantastic, great. What else? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little bit opposite of what Gabi said, but to me, um, it reminds me of taking on commandments, taking on this vote. Mm. Uh, both at Mount Sinai, both um, with, the, with the high holidays and taking upon yourself to do that. Beautiful. They're really, really nice, right? That there's something about these days that reminds us to increase, perhaps, our commitments, right, to the covenant. Okay? Fantastic. Really, really excellent. Good. So I want us to keep thinking about, yes. Sure. Um, that both have preparatory periods, like at least the Beautiful. yeah the three days. Um, okay. and they have Bala, and also we now have a Sarah Main Shuvah. I don't know where it's Okay, great, great, great point, right, that we have these ideas, and even, even before a Sarah Main Shuvah, right, before we even have Roshana, we also have a preparatory period of Elul, right, which is also really interesting, and in fact, we're told that actually, right, Elul really is modeled after this idea that Moshe gets called back up to the top of Mount Sinai, actually on Rosh Chodesh Elul, 
right? That's what we start blowing the shofar from that moment, right? Because actually this is the period of time when Moshe is atoning for <coughs> this sin of the golden calf, right? And he is going to receive the second set of luchot. They're happening now, my friends. This preparatory period that Aviva's talking to us about, right, actually is right now. So I, I just sort of want us to understand that because I think we don't talk about that. I don't know if we talk about that so much. That actually, right, these preparatory days for Yom Kippur are actually also Moshe's preparatory days, and Moshe's days of asking for forgiveness and trying to atone uh, on behalf of the people. So I want us to sort of think about that, what it means, but also one of the things that I'm really fascinated by is that actually the first time we see the word shofar, when we talk about the shofar in the Bible, it's actually at Matan Torah. It's actually at the giving of the Torah. That's where we see the word for the first time. So that's sort of an interesting, to me that's really phenomenal, right? We actually don't see it explicitly in the Torah in connection with Rosh Hashanah, which is fascinating in and of itself, right? Even though it's such a huge part of it, right? The rabbis have to explain to us and do a drashah, they have to do a, have to do a mitrash on the text to explain to us that actually when we talk about blasts on Rosh Hashanah, we're actually talking about the shofar. But we don't actually have a pursuit explicitly tying this instrument to this note. Where we first meet the instrument is actually at science. So let's look at that together if we can. And let's talk a little bit about Exodus chapter 19. Okay? Um, <laughs> there's a lot to do here in Exodus chapter 19. I didn't bring everything. I see some of it's a smaller print and that's on purpose. But I just wanted, there's a lot, there's a lot, there should be enough for everyone probably. So here we are. Will someone read for us actually? Just from uh, verses 1. Uh, through eight, including eight, who's reading for us? Be brave in English. You can do it. Can't worry, guy. One, Exodus chapter nineteen. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone forth from the land of Egypt, on that very day they entered the wilderness of Sinai. Having journeyed from Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. Israel encamped there in front of the mountain, and Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and declare to the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now then, if you will obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Indeed, all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. Moses came and summoned the elders of the people and put before them all that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered as one, saying, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the people's words to the Lord. Okay, fantastic, great. Totally tons and tons. And we could talk just right now for the next 20 hours just on these two kids. Let's try to sum them up in one sentence. Totally inappropriately. Kind of them both. Right. Way too short. But if you had to say that, if you had to explain what just happened in one sentence, what would you say? God asked them to follow his, his orders. And what'd they say? Yes. Yeah, let's do it, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Everything God said we'll do. Okay, fantastic. What do you call that, my friends? Consent. Obedience, consent. Good, good. Consent, obedience. What else? An agreement. Good, right? And contract, agreement, breach. Exactly. Covenant. Okay? Fascinatingly, first God, remember, remember who I am? Let me just remind you guys who, who I am, what I've done for you, and I'm about to give you this terror, and people say, okay, great, we're in, okay? We are in this, we are, joining this coming. Fantastic, okay, good. Where's it keep going? Nine for us. Nine. And the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, in order that the people may hear when I speak with you, and so trust you ever after. Then Moses reported the people's words to the Lord. Okay, the, oh. okay we're going to pause right there. Great. I actually want you to, okay, so all of this happens, right? And then there's this, as uh, we said to us, all of this um, warning about what's going to happen, how you prepare for this amazing day, okay? And now we're about to hear. Here is the day. Okay, verse 16, verse you're doing amazing. Keep going. On the third day of morning dawn, there was thunder and lightning and a dense cloud upon the mountain and a very loud blast of the shofar. There it is, guys. And all That's the people who were in the camp trembled. Keep going. Moses led the people out of the camp toward God, and they took their places at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, for the Lord had come down upon it in fire. The smoke rose like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled violently. 
The blare of the shofar grew louder and louder. As Moses spoke, God answered him in thunder. Okay, great. Let's just pause right there. Okay, so there we have it, my friends. We are meeting the shofar for the first time. And what is the reaction of the people to the sound of the shofar? Good. What, what does trembling mean? Fear. Fear. Okay? Which I think is really interesting. Just to notice that we're here at this very incredibly momentous moment, perhaps the most momentous moment for the Jewish people. Right? We're about to, we just were asked, want to be part of this covenant? The answer was yes, we're in this, right? God tells us uh, who God is, right? And what's going to happen. Jewish people say, we're in this thing. Then God says, I'm going to come up here. I'm going to come. I'm coming to be with the people. The shofar represents that. The cloud represents that. The shofar represents that. And the people's reaction is fear, right? Okay, which I, I think is sort of important to notice that. And then verse 19, and this is where we're really going to spend a lot of time. Verse 19 says to us, right, the blare of the shofar grew louder and louder as Moses spoke, Moshe Yedaber, right, the Elohim ya'anenu b'kol. And God answered him when the, the English here says thunder, but I would like to suggest a different translation, which is in a voice. God answers him in this voice, okay? We're going to look, right now, we're going to get to Chavrita, we're going to look at this, but there's a very uh, big question that, that almost all the commentaries, and we just seen here, are very disturbed by this verse, like, what on earth does it mean? So let's spend a little time here, just us, before we get into the rabbinic perspective, just hearing in the, in the room, what do we think about this verse, okay? The shofar's uh, voice, and by the way, I think it's important to notice that he called a shofar, right? The shofar's voice, the English word is the blare, but I wish we would use... The word voice would be, I think, easier and better to see sort of the poetry of this verse, right? But then we have the call of the shofar, the voice, or the sounding of the shofar was going and getting stronger, grew louder and louder. Moshe is speaking, and God answers him or responds in a voice. So tell me about this, guys. We have three different sort of speeches happening here. The shofar's voice, Moshe's speaking, and God's answering in a voice. How do you understand this verse? Yes, tell me your name. Uh, my name is Anat. Anat. And so when we just read these verses, I was like, wait, who is blowing the shofar? Great. Uh, so for this mm-hmm. verse, it seems like God is blowing the shofar. Beautiful. Like say more, say more, beautiful. Well, so like the, 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 the voice of the shofar got louder and Moshe spoke and God answered in, in a voice. Maybe it's a shofar. Oh, beautiful. Very nice. So Anat says to a beautifully, beautiful point, right? Well, I have the shofar's coal and then I have God's coal Maybe it's the same call, right? The same call, same voice in each, right? Beautiful. So first is a shofar, Moshe speaks, and then the question is, what's Moshe speaking? What's he saying? Do we even know what Moshe's saying? In these words, like, what, where do we have his words? And then God's responding, right? So, and that's saying this movie, that's also, the response itself is the shofar, right? Beautiful. Very, very nice. Other thoughts, what do we think? Anybody understand what's happening here? Yes. You can see. So, um... So it seems to me that it's not necessarily a voice voice mm. in either one of these uh, interpretations. It's a sound. Mm. And you don't have to have answering, meaning have words or lyric to the sound, but you have, it feels to me how people are perceiving what's happening. They may hear it as a sound without differentiating who is Moshe here? Who is Shofar? Or what is Shofar? What or who is God? It's just like a different variations of different sounds that are making you tremble, mm-hmm. and you're trembling sort of with different, I don't know, frequency. Mm. Okay, beautiful. So, is, is, do you think Moshe's voice also is making them tremble? In this way, I, I, I uh, you know, it might because he is sort of in communication yeah, yeah, with this yeah, being that yeah. is producing that awesome sound. So that's why they're a little bit behind. And that's why they, they like you talking about. Yeah, okay, great. I think that's a very important point, right? We actually, right, there's a very right, famous idea that, 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 the, that they actually didn't want to hear directly from God. It was actually kind of terrifying. We're not there quite yet. And it's actually fascinating because Midrash is going to go exactly to that place, literally exactly to that place. Of the people saying, okay, uh, Moshe, you, I want you to have that conversation with God, and you can just tell us what God says, but we don't really want to directly hear it. It's kind of terrifying in the words, right? There's a limit to the amount of revelation we can actually handle and take. So it's a very interesting question, and the Midrash supports exactly what you're saying, but I love this idea that there's going to be multiplicity of voices here, and the people react differently depending on 
uh, who the voice is or the sound, what sound they are here. Fantastic. Yeah, you want to go ahead. I also think like it's interesting to think that shofar usually is to cause um, order, so like to call people to organize mm -hmm. or to gather. And here, right here, it's it seems as if it's almost chaos, mm -hmm. um, and there's smoke, and there's thunder, and Moses is speaking, and there's also the shofar getting louder and louder. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if either it's to find order within the chaos, or the reverse of that, it's just adding to the chaos. Yeah, really, really, really. Quite true. In fact, when we talk about the different sounds that were sounded by the trumpets, right, in, in the desert, but we don't have so far there, we have silver trumpets, but I think it's a very interesting point, right, that normally the point of sounds is actually to help people know what to do. And you're saying here, it's, no, it's just, I actually just have tons of, it's just complete overload, sensory overload, right, where they're hearing, they're hearing what they should see and they're seeing what they should hear. They, this, it's a complete sort of sensory overload of the whole experience is terrifying and Right? Uh, and the shofar here adds to that. Okay, yeah, Wendy. So, I understand this is quite a, an anachronistic thing to suggest, but it, it almost reminds me of like a silent movie, right? Where like, you see, you see the actors kind of speaking to one another, but you can't hear what they're saying, but the way that you feel what's going on is that there's like music playing that lets you know if it's like a moment of drama or a moment of comedy or a moment of like tragedy. And so, I was kind of imagining it as like, they can't actually hear what either Moshe or God is saying, they sort of can tell that a conversation is happening, and the shofar kind of provides the like mood music to let them know. Da -da -da. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh, I love that. Right. So there's some sort of the shofar is the accompanying human capacity or the people's capacity to understand that there's a dialogue happening, even though they can't hear it. Well, or right? maybe even to like clue them into what they're supposed to feel. Like it's providing oh, it's mood music. It's providing the. Great. And what, are they, what do you think they're supposed to feel at this moment? Do you, do you agree with the fear? Do you think it's something else? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I thought I don't know. Okay. So, so the, 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 the shabar is the, is the background music or the, it's like a cue. Guys, pay attention. Something major is happening here. There's a dialogue between Moshe and God. You're not going to know what it is. But FYI, pay attention to this thing. Right. Okay, great. Fantastic. I, I would venture to guess that it's probably fear or some terror because before we've seen that the, the shofar sort of invokes this terror in them. And I also think the idea of it getting louder and louder just adds to that like sense of either awe or drama or maybe fear or terror, right? Or awesomeness. But like, I want you to continue feeling, right? Um, I love that. It's beautiful. And it's very interesting because it actually makes what you're saying, Wendy, I think is that it makes the conversation between God and Moshe more intimate in a certain way. Even though everyone's keenly watching it, but really, right, it's actually more, nobody really knows what's going on there. Right, and it also means that, like, exactly what they're saying isn't the experience that the people are having. Right. Right, in the same way that, like, when you're watching a silent movie, like, what you get out of it is not the content of the words. Right, right. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing, amazing. More points? Is there another hand? Yes. Tell me your name, sorry. Jonathan. Jonathan. Um, uh, it seems to me, um, it's almost like a, an, an Oreo. Moses is like the filling, like uh, you know, because these these are both object, like, they're both subjects. Like shofar is a subject, and it has verbs that relate to it, and and God is a subject, and they're different verbs relating. Like God, yeah, I mean, like answers, and yet it's the same. The the noun is the same. Like the, the what's making the sound is the same, and so Moshe is that human component in this moment of like awe that mixes the answer which has some linguistic component with the power of their action verbs with the call of the shofar. Beautiful. So there's a human component that's mixing those two. I love that. That is so great. When, we are, when you see what the rabbis think he's saying, it's even so much stronger. It's amazing. I love that idea. It's a, right, because it's actually the only human. The only human, the only human being in this sentence is Moshe, right? And the action he's doing is speaking, which is fascinating. Right? As opposed, and he's the only one who doesn't have a voice, even though he's speaking, right? which is sort of an interesting bit, right? I love that. I love the oh, that's a great image. Okay, fantastic, my friend. So what we're going to do now is we're going to get into Chavruta. Uh, Chavruta is a major component of everything we do at Kodes. Uh Why do we do Chavruta, my friend? Why? Because it's great. That's true. What else? Why do we do it? Why, are we gonna, why am I going to make you turn to the person next to you? One of you is going to read the text out loud and we're going to discuss it. Why? Why do we do such a thing? First of all, it's, it's engaging. It's traditional way of learning. Great. And then when you're doing it in pairs or in groups, you might hear something from your partner that Beautiful. you would have never ever thought right. about. And, they, and you would be like, oh. 
Excellent. Excellent. Right. Good. Let's do this for each other. Exactly. Right. This idea we're going to learn from each other, and that by learning for ourselves, we're actually giving to each other. Right. Beautiful. So we're going to learn something we didn't hear before. Uh, I like to say every text can be read in more than one way. Right. We just read this. We just read these two keys. You guys heard. We just read verse nineteen very differently. Different people have very different readings of this. So when we learn in Chavrita, we really allow all of the voices of the text to come out, to come alive. That's probably what we're trying, going to try and do now. Okay. So what's going to happen is you're going to turn to the person next to you. That's a chavrita. If people want, the person next to you is your chavrita. If you want to do a triuta, three people, that's also fine. It's allowed. Okay, so two or three people. Uh, we're going to look at, we're going to look at, um, please read all the texts in the next seven minutes. No. Um, two, three, how about two, three, and five? Okay. Four will help you with just a little bit of reference, but two, three, and five, two, uh, four is just there for reference. Two, three, and five. We're going to turn to the person next. We're going to do chavruta for 12 minutes. 12 minutes of chavruta. Okay, so turn to the person next to you. Two, three, and five, which means spend approximately four minutes on each piece. Uh, I'll be here if you need me. I'll be walking around. Uh, let's do it, my friends. Four. Little chavruta action. Okay? Okay. We're going to come back together. Okay, so we have a lot to do in the next half hour. Are you guys with me? How are we feeling? We're energized. We're excited post chavruta. Yeah. What I like to say now is that we're not done with Chavruta, now we're just an infituta, which is an infinite number of Chavruta partners. So, uh, okay, here we go. First number two on your pages, my friends. Mechilder of Ishmael, just so we know where we are in Jewish history. Mechilder of Ishmael uh, is a Tanaitic Midrash. It's a Midrash that's written at the same time period as the Mishnah by the same rabbis. Okay, which is why we'll notice that Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Kiva here, right, are arguing the same rabbis as the Mishnah. Um, and, uh, um, we, it is the Midrash that is written on Shemot. We actually have two Mechotas, Mechotas of Rabbi Shemal and Mechotas of uh, Rabbi Shemal Bar Yochai. Okay? And they represent two different schools of thought. Okay, so Moshe spoke, right? Moshe the bear of Elohim, yeah, and Right? Moshe spoke, and the Lord answered him with a voice. I have a machloket here, right? Disagreement between two Tanaitic rabbis. Rabbi Eliezer says, Minayin ataomer, She'ein akash baruchu medaber, Ad Moshe amar, Okay. Rabbi Lezer says, how do we know that God would not speak until Moshe says, speak? What? What? <laughs> yeah, what? Moses is giving God permission to speak? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Barbara. Barbara. What? Because God's speaking through Moses' body. Okay, so because God's speaking through Moshe, perhaps. But it sounds like what the Midrash is trying to tell us is, as God was speaking, what? The Ten Commandments. Okay, which is, of course, not the right translation. There's a lot to say about Ten Commandments. It's not the right word. Okay, great. We know that. But for shorthand, we're going to say Ten Commandments. Okay? As God, as God is saying the Ten Commandments, Moshe... Was saying, okay, go next. Okay, we check how to do it. Oh, they're doing okay. Okay, okay. Next. Uh, uh, what, Moshe is God's prompter. Okay? In this conversation. In the giving of the Ten Commandments, the revelation at Sinai, what could arguably be the most important moment, right? In the Jewish people's relationship with God, Moshe is there saying, go. And now. And now. Right? Sort of like a stage director. Like it's, what? And then the proof is, right? And by the way, what was God waiting to hear from Moshe? Not just go, say the next one, but your people, your children have accepted, accepted which is really fascinating and really interesting, right? Particularly because we are so, what's so, so famous in the narrative of, of Harsinai and Mount Sinai is that God, we learn every year, all the time we talk about this idea, that God held the mountain over their heads, right? It's like the most famous metaphor or the most, fam- most well-known rabbinic idea that the whole experience of Sinai was coercive, this Midrash is saying to you, coercive? God didn't even say the next commandment until he checked in with Moshe, who checked in with the people. Okay? This is amazing. And then the Midrash is like, how, how do we know this? How do we know this? Right? How do we know this is true? Moshe, right? Sorry, this is as it says, Moshe, meaning, Moshe 
speaks and God answers. But what word in the, in the pasuk are the rabbis interested in here? What word? Yidaber. Excellent. You know, the way, the way you know that, by the way, we have the, the word appears a lot of times in the drafts, right? right? God doesn't speak. Right? Speak. Right. In other words, what the midrash is interested in, in there is this word daber, and I think what they're playing off of is a seret hadibrot, right? The ten speakings. So Moshe yidaber means Moshe is saying to God, yidaber, speak, and God responds to him saying, speak. That's what's happening here in the midrash, as far as I understand. Okay, so that I think is un- just unbelievable. In this read of the Midrash, what am I trying to, sorry, in this read of the Pasuk, in Rabbi Eliezer's read, what is Rabbi Eliezer trying to tell us about the experience of Sinai? Yeah? I was like a more mediator than mediating experience, like for the people, like Moshe talks to them first to make sure they could handle it. Fantastic. This is not a guy holding a mountain over their head. This is, this is, I'm going to give you commandments, and I want to make sure you can handle that. I, can, I want to make sure you're with me, okay? So, Moshe, God, he's checking in. With me? Yeah? Okay, good. Let's go on. He's with me, kid. Right? That's what's happening here, and, God, and Moshe is the prompter of the entire conversation. Okay? Excellent. Yeah. You would eat what so, you would so, this basically speaks about the saying that God, where is God? God is where you let him be. Oh, yeah. Fair. So, Beautiful. At this particular moment, they are so ready to let him be with them exactly. that exactly. Moshe is, that's why, directing. Beautiful. Exactly saying what you just beautiful. said. Yes, they're ready. Go on. Beautiful. And in fact, beautiful. And in fact, he said, whatever God says, we'll do. We are in this covenant. We know who you are. We're doing this willingly, which is so fascinating. And I think it's such an interesting question, which really is going to take us a lot longer to talk about than the next 25 minutes. But it's a very interesting question. Why do how do I want to see the experience of Sinai? Do I want to see it? And I think the Torah depicts it in a very different way, which is fire, smoke, and terror, and trembling, and mountains trembling, and tons of stuff, chaos. And, and this is extremely ordered. Hold on. Okay, God, pause it with me. That's good. Okay, you heard it. You're good. Okay, great. Next, it's a totally different experience. Much more consensual, much more mutual, much more ordered, much more even. You did think even more than what I'm saying, which is, the people are dying for God's word. They're, they want to be in this relationship, right? It's a totally different experience than they're terrified. It's that they're asking for it. If I yeah. just say, <coughs> we were actually speaking here um, about intimate experience. Beautiful. And, and, um, and, and the possibility that the, mm, God was actually using Moshe as, as a vessel mm. and considering... Mm. That uh, it's not me; it's uh, my chavurta here. Um, that uh, job, okay. we are the um, this relationship between God and Jewish people is sort of sexual relationship. In mm. human, mm. I can't even say that. So it's really through you know right. very very intimate. I think this is the the, the right. word to use. Right, very and Moshe becomes that really becomes right. that connection between them. Right. right? Which is, which is really interesting. It's a very interesting idea. I, I think also, I mean, I, w- I would say that, that to me that feels like Rabbi Akiva's position, right? Do you, think that's a, do you think that's the first position here or that's Rabbi Akiva's position, the second position here? Right. Well, I think this is the second. No, the first. Well, well, I think it's both. I think it's <laughs> both. Well, the, Moses spoke and the Lord answered him with a voice. And so to me, oh, I guess I saw this. I realize now I read it wrong. I read it as Moses spoke and the Lord answered him by giving him a voice. So I imagine it as like a really sexual thing where his vocal cavity is filled with God. I don't think I you're misreading that at all. That's what I think exactly Akiva. I think you guys are Akiva. That's all, all I'm suggesting is I think that that's exactly what Akiva, that, what, what Rabbi Akiva is suggesting. First of all, I love this. I mean, people come along and go, my favorite part of this is this. Obviously. But by that, I mean, of course Rabbi Yezer. I love that moment because it's like, really? Because actually, Rabbi Ezra just said something like, crazily radical! Let's just be honest with that. It was crazy, right? That God is waiting for Moshe to prompt him to say that there has he broke? Oh, that was obvious, Akiva says. <laughs> I don't think it was that obvious. That's just a little bit But, you know, right? I don't know how obvious that was. He's like, die! Ken who Umat hamud lomar Moshe bear. Actually, he's saying, that's not what this means at all. Really, what's happening? Obviously, God is waiting to hear from the people that they want to be with him, right? But, but actually what's happening here is, 
Right? God gave Moshe power, strength, and might. I think this is what he's saying, right? That God, that he helped him with his voice. Which, by the way, is amazing. And this is why, I love, this is why rabbinic text is so awesome. Because the rabbis preserve the character traits of, of, the, of the characters of Tanakh. This is like the most famous thing we know about Moshe, is that he says, me speak? I don't know how to speak. That's not my thing. I'm not a great public speaker. Don't hit me. I'm a terrible speaker. What you? So it's interesting here because he goes along and says, Moshe was ter- is terrified to speak to the people. Repeatedly. So when I'm at the most important moment of speech, perhaps, for a human being, God allows him to be strengthened and right, his, his voice is strengthened. And God gives him this power, right? And in the same exact voice in which Moshe hears, he is able to give it to the people. So this goes back to this Triusa's read, I think, of God strengthens Moshe's voice, and maybe even more so, Moshe is the conduit, right, to, to bring God to the people. It's, I think, a completely different read than we get. Right, Eliezer's read is, Actually, Moshe says to God, speak. And Rabbi Kiva's read is, God says to Moshe, speak. They're actually very different things. And I think it's actually a really interesting thing. Now, let's add into this the shofar. Remember him? He was there the whole time. I don't know why. We, I mean, whatever. It's, sorry, I don't know why I said that. But, right, remember the shofar? The shofar's in this pasuk also. And I think it's a very fascinating, because we talk about the shofar's role on Rosh Hashanah, for sure, as this simultaneous conduit, Right? It simultaneously reminds God, we're here, the Jewish people are here, the same way that Moshe does, right? And it also reminds Jewish people, hello, wake up, it's Yom Adin, it's the day of judgment, God is here. So it's a very fascinating thing to notice that in the same pasuk that says that the the shofar, the voice of the shofar is getting louder and louder and louder, also Moshe has the same exact role as the shofar. He is the conduit, the bridge between God and the people, which I think is really fascinating. Okay, how are we doing? Everyone good? Okay, good. So, <clears throat> okay, here comes the Unitana Tokef. It's a pretty giant leap uh, in terms of time. Uh, there's a lot of debate about not being Unitana Tokef. Every year there's like a very, there's a lot of lectures about it. Did anybody hear about it this year, about the, the historical debate, the academic debate about when this is written, right? Very famous idea that it's written by, written by Rabbi Amnon of Mintz and, about him and that he, uh, by him, I'm sorry, and that he has this terrible run-in with uh, the Crusades and, right, and this person who persecutes him, etc., etc. In fact, the Geniza, uh, we have fragments of this prayer. We have uh, versions of this prayer that are already from the 8th century, so it's much earlier than the uh, classic rendition. But there's a lot of and it is seen as a very key, it's like the jewel, the crown jewel in certain ways, of the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur liturgy. And there's so much in it, it's packed full, it's chock full of Talmudic references, biblical references, verses, quotes, it's like every single line of the entire talk of you could, is worthy of spending a lot of time on it. But we're going to take a few sentences from this book, from this prayer, okay? Who's reading for us in the Tanatokef? Yes, go ahead, go ahead. Let us now relate the power of this day's holiness, for it is awesome and frightening. On it your kingship will be exalted, your throne will be firmed with kindness, and you will sit upon it in truth. It is true that you alone are the one who judges, proves, knows, and bear witness, who writes and seals, who counts, and who calculates. You will remember all that was forgotten. You will open the book of remembrances, it will read itself, and each person's signature is there. And the great shofar will be sounded, and a still, thin voice will be heard. Angels will hasten, a trembling and terror will seize them, and they will say, Behold, it is the day of judgment to muster the heavenly host for judgment. For even they are not guiltless in your eyes in judgment. Excellent. Thank you. Beautiful reading. Thank you so much. Okay, so... A lot going on in this prayer, but I wanted us to see 
that this piece from the liturgy juxtaposes simultaneously. This giant so far will be sounded and called on And they're literally next to each other. So which one is it? Is it this giant shofar sound, or is it this thing? How do you guys understand what's going on there? What do you think is going on poetically, liturgically? What are we supposed to be feeling at this moment? What is this describing? Why do I contrast these things? Got me? No. I was thinking um, the great shofar was referencing our first text, and it was like, the, the first introduction of the shofar, we don't know who's blowing it, but it's this really loud shofar, apparently. Um, and could, this could be Hashem's voice, maybe even. And then the still thin voice is another Hashem's voice that the intertext of uh, Kings says, like, Hashem is in the still voice. So it's like a, two different kinds of voices next to each other that are both Hashem's and that have different values or uh, pieces that come Okay, fantastic. So, so Gabi says to us, both of these are God. The voices that, were, that are being heard here are actually God's voice, both in terms of the shofar and the, thin, the still thin voice, right, are both voices of God that are present. Okay, fantastic. Kelly, what are you going to say? Um, I, we were talking about how, about the contrast of the great sound of a shofar and a still thin voice. And I was thinking about, like, in song, how um, something like loud and attention-grabbing really draws attention to, like, a following silence or stillness. So, um, to me, I was thinking that the still thin voice was perhaps the book of remembrances that is reading itself. Um, and the shofar is, is bringing attention to that um, in an even greater way, and which, which draws that terror out. Because suddenly you're, like, really paying attention to this, like, thin voice. It makes it, like creepy almost, like you really can't help but pay attention to it now. Yeah, beautiful. I also, it's really, really beautiful, and it's so true, right, there's a kind of like white space, right, that at, right in between the letters, actually you can't have letters if you don't have white space, I think it's an interesting question, like, I have this loud voice, and then suddenly, it's quiet, there's tons of focus on that, right, and then the book, it's very interesting, because the book of Remembrance is noticed here, this is a fascinating thing, it reads itself, I like the creepy word, I think it's like, it's like sort of magical, or like, you can just imagine this book of like deeds just reading itself, like in heaven, continuously, right? So that, and now we can hear it. He's like, pay attention! Remember when you did this? Remember when you did this? It's a really interesting uh, concept. Beautiful, very, very nice. I was just, no. No? You sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Okay, Michael. So I was just thinking about how, on the one hand, an experience I had this last Rosh Hashanah, the Shulai was at the Jewish Center, so they, you know, they had a person who the shofar up front, and they were all supposed to listen, so it's a big voice, shall we say, and yet they always make the point of saying, if you, at various events and services, if you know anyone who can't be here because they're at home, we will arrange for someone to take the shofar and go blow it for them. Mm -hmm. So it's both the loud, and then the still personal voice that will, you know, go to your home and just be for you. Right. It's amazing. It's true, right? It's true. I, I wonder if we've all had that experience. Like, sometimes the shofar has this, like, loud blast. And sometimes it's, like, really quiet. And it depends on it, right? The experience, I love that. Like, public-private is what I hear you say, right? Beautiful. Very, very nice. Excellent. Loud and soft. Great. Fantastic. Really, really nice. Aviva, go ahead. Um, I feel like this um, verse I'm going to tell you to kind of reminds me of verse 19 from the show. That actually because it seems to be like a layering of uh, of kolot. Like we said Hashem, the shofar blower, and Moshe. Mm -hmm. Now we have the book being read, the shofar, and the silken voice. Great, great. Lots of different voices all happening at once, right? And how do I process? In fact, this is a real phenomenon, right? That actually an ear cannot process more than one thing at once. Right? That actually you can't hear, you can only hear one thing at a time. So it's a very interesting, all right, it's famously why we have Right, Zahor and Shamor, the Ten Commandments, we say that human beings can only hear one thing at a time, even though both things, both Zahor and Shamor, right, um, um, remember and observe, were both set at Sinai, right, the human, being, the human ear can only hear one thing at a time. I think it's a very interesting question. All these things are happening simultaneously, but we actually experience them each separately. There is a loud voice that's happening, there's a thin 
Sarah Boyd. Okay, and that, fantastic. And that, go ahead. And so I wonder about the translation. So in Hebrew, it's, it's like uh, Shafari Tafkave and like Cold Mama Ishama. So sometimes I wonder if it's like somebody blows a, a big shofar, but then you don't actually hear the loud sound of the shofar, you hear a still small voice. Beautiful. You think you're blowing a lot of shofar, right? But actually, what you're actually experiencing is the is the voice. It's a beautiful idea, right? In other words, shofar gadol yitakai doesn't mean I'm hearing a shofar gadol, but I'm actually that's that's the description of the object, perhaps, and then the sound itself is a small voice. Beautiful, really, really nice, excellent, Jonathan. You could pair the shofar. If you want to be sort of literal, you could pair the shofar with the first sound of the shofar. The thin, small voice would have to be Moses then. Oh, interesting. And then the angels are the kind of emphasis that God answering shows. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, like people being the thin, small voice. It's just standing out to me in terms of the pattern. Beautiful. I love that. Very nice. We're going to put it back into Shmuel Yudzet. I think great. Excellent. I don't know your name. Are you? Are you? Yeah. Um, just uh, sort of along the lines of what um, said. Um, uh, we sort of talked about how the um, but the show the shofar really sort of announces important things. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily an important thing in itself. And um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and 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 by Harsina there's all the activity and by Amkor also. But it's the the activity is what makes you pay attention. But that's not the important part itself. It's the the important thing is the. The small is the cold that you hear yourself. Beautiful. Okay. So you what? That you yourself hear. That you yourself hear? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Very very nice. So beautiful. I love that. I think it goes right. And it goes back to what Wendy was saying about the music, right? Being em- emphasizing and it, okay. So pay attention. But this is what I really want you to hear. Is this? This is what really I want you to know. So it's very fascinating because if we look at the original appearance of cold right? You guys might have seen this already, right? In Malachim uh, Aleph, right? In Kings 1, we have this moment where God is revealing God's self to Eliyahu, right? God is revealing God's self to Elijah, the prophet, and there's all of these amazing moments of awe, awe-inspiring, right? We have, let's go through it, right? We have... Um, Right? A great strong wind. And we have the right, which breaks mountains in pieces, right? But the Lord was not in the wind. And there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And there was the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice, right? There's an idea here. Part of what the simple understanding of this text is, even though it's extremely complicated text, but right, the simple, I think, understanding of this text is do not misunderstand God's text. You do not misunderstand and think that God is in fire and earthquakes and winds that destroy. I think there's a fascinating thing here about God is not in the things of, not in the destruction. God is not found in destruction. God is a still small voice. Okay. Now this translation of Kol Maradaka, as uh, as Rabbi Jeffrey Cohen says to us, is actually terrible. Kol Maradaka does not mean a thin small voice. Yes. I mean, still, still does mean silent. So, like, if you said a still small voice, that would mean, you know what I mean, like that, a silent small voice, which is what he's saying it means. Right. Okay, but do you think, do you think still and silent mean the same thing? They are the same thing. That's, that's what still means in that context. Say more. That, I mean, that's the definition of, of still, like, and then his voice was still, and oh, he stopped speaking. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for that. Okay, good. Right, so don't miss. This is actually an English problem. We're actually misunderstanding the English solution. Okay, good. I'm good. I think what he's okay, good. So I think we can still say him because I think what he's saying to us is understand still as silent. Okay, that's good. I think that's what he's trying. But what he's trying to say to us is, what on earth is a silent or still voice? What does that mean? How do you have a stu- how do you have a silent voice? Those things seem to be contradictory. You can't have a silent voice. By definition, a call is something that is heard. It should be something that is heard. What if it's in your body, though? What do you mean? So, like, if I think of a still silent voice, like when I sometimes feel like a full body calm, mm-hmm. I am receiving like almost a sound, but it's from within me. But what is the thing? Because I'm actually experiencing something. It's an experience. Is that a voice? It depends on how you. Experience sound. <laughs> I think we're really in a situation here because what we're—I think he would agree with you. I think that I think that that uh, that that uh, Rabbi Cohen would agree with what is being said here. But I th- I think 
we're, I think we're in a little bit of a question mark. Like, what on earth does it mean that God is in the still small voice? That, is, that there's a still silent voice? There's a silent, thin voice inside of us, right? And like Cohen's understanding and explanation is that is internal. It's an internal voice, which might actually never be uh, expressed, but it's actually our own internal narrative and dialogue, right? But he calls that a cold mama that kai, he calls that a thin, silent voice. And I think it's a very fascinating thing. I want to suggest, perhaps, that part of what is going on here is, right, it's very strongly connected to Yad, right, call Yad Adambo, that everyone's hands is in this book of remembrances, right? That every single person is involved in this relationship, okay? That every one of us has sort of signed in this book of remembrances. All of our signatures are there in our own handwriting, and so are our voices, right? That actually there is an inherent uh, reality that is happening in the heavens that the shofar gives, calls us to, pays, calls us to pay attention to, asks us to be a part of. And I think what's interesting here, and I think the liturgist was, was, is suggesting this, is saying, right, it was at Sinai and it's right now too. Both in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, there is a call to say, you are here. You are involved. Whether you like it or not, your kod mamadakah, your own internal voice, is here and is a part of things, okay? Now, why is that, my friends? Why? I'm not sure if you guys got, some of you got to this one, I heard you in coverage that. But I think there's an amazing thing. If we take this understanding of kod mamadakah to be our own internal voice, not necessarily God's voice, but we have, we have some reads here that said it was God's voice. In fact, it seems to be clear from uh, the pshat and the simple understanding of kings, that that's what's happening. It's God's voice. It's kod mamadakah, it's, it's the voice of God. Okay, and, and Rabbi Cohen suggests to us, yeah, it's the voice of God that is internal. But if we take, I want, if we take now Exodus Rabbah, guys, we take source six, something incredible happens. I think we're going to see here the confluence of Sinai and the Kol Okay, why? Look what happens here with me, my friends, right? But you know, this is the moment when Aaron goes out to Moshe in the wilderness, but it, the Midrash here quickly goes on to the experience of Sinai and voices and lots of different... Laws are going to be drash on voice. And one of them is, How did the voice of God at Sinai go forth to all of the people? Okay, that's the question of the midrash. Meaning, we have this idea that God's voice is being revealed at Sinai. How did that happen? Listen to this, my friends. Every single person at Sinai had a personalized, revelatory experience. So this is, once again, incredibly radical what is happening here, okay? Why? What am I saying? What is this Midrash? We're going to go through it more, but what is this Midrash suggesting to us? I just wanted to hear this because I think it's unbelievable. This Midrash is saying to us, we talked a lot about Moshe's role, right? Either Moshe was saying, okay, God, they're ready for you, go ahead. Or God was saying to Moshe, okay, go ahead, you give it to them, right? That, that was, that's how we opened the first Midrash that we saw together from the Mechota. But what's amazing, my friends, is now we're saying, no, Moshe is a conduit. That's not what happened at all. No, there was no conduit for Moshe. What happened at Sinai? Every single person... What? Was a conduit, to exactly. Themselves. To themselves. Mm-hmm. Every single person heard the Torah, heard God's voice personally. Okay? But it's not just that they heard God's voice personally. Rather, the voice actually became personal. Became personal. Was modulated. Good. Was modulated. The voice actually matched them. Because it came through right? Moses. Well, no. it's, inter- it's interesting whether because it can do what, what. Where do you see Moses here in this midrash? In six, in six, I think it's. I think it's actually Moses isn't there. I think it's just how was the call? How was God's voice experienced at Sinai? Kol achad Everyone according to their strength has skinning the fikochan, habechor the fikochan, the elders of this way, the young boys this way, hakteni the little boys this way, right? And even Moshe, according to his strength, 
The voice of God, the voice of revelation is personalized to every single person standing there, even Moshe. How do we know? Right? And we're back to our verse again, my friends, wherein, what does it mean God answers him with a voice? It means God personalizes revelation to every single person, including Moshe. By the way, I love this because the Midrash assumes, including Moshe. I would have thought, of course, Moshe, because Moshe is so close to God. But the Midrash is, it's like an afterthought, including Moshe. Like, that's not the point. The point wasn't Moshe. The point was us. <laughs> every single one of us. So, right, every single person, right? The experience of every single person at Sinai was personal. But how? So incredible, my friends. What's it saying? How is that done? How is the personal revelation done? Through? Through a voice. Right? Through God's voice. And I would suggest, I would actually suggest that this is the kol That actually there's something inside us. Our kol our silent inner voices, connect with God at Sinai so that, right? Our voice and God's voice become one. Much like what we said about Moshe. Much like what we said about the shofar, right? That actually these days of awe, this is what I want to suggest. That when we think about and talk about what we are doing on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, on these days of awe, on these days of connection and closeness with God, is we are allowing the divine voice and our own inner voices to become one. And we have the capacity to experience that revelatory moment on Yom Kippur as well. Right? That's what it means when we say, and it will be heard. It's because we ourselves are connecting to our inner voice which actually is God's voice. Each one of us has that capacity within us. On these days of awe, I would even suggest not just on these days of awe, but that's what it is actually to be in relationship with God, is to be accessing that revelation, that revelatory experience, which is unique. Every single one of us has that unique revelatory experience within us. And with that, I'm going to close, my friends. I want to wish everyone a gemar chatimat tovat, a beautiful, sweet, powerful, internal uh, Yom Kippur and a beautiful year for everyone. Thank you guys very much.